today will be the first of three Christmas sermons uh, that I will finish up on Christmas Eve. <clears throat> and I love Christmas. Uh, there's no other part of the year that compares to it uh, for me. I just absolutely love it, and my wife loves it as much as I do. And in fact, we begin to celebrate Christmas starting in the second week of November. All right? I know you're looking at me and saying, you've got to be kidding me. But no, in the second week of November, we begin to put up four Christmas trees. Four. Uh, two in the house, two on the porch. And then we put up the entire Dickens village that somebody in this church gave us as a gift. And that's about 200 Dickens houses. Uh, and they're all over the house. And they, we, we close the lid to the grand piano, and it's filled with lighted Dickens village. Because that's what Christmas has to be. It has to be celebrated. We have to go out to the world to tell the world how much Christmas means, how the world was changed in the deepest, most profound way ever. Uh, and so today, I'm going to focus on a seldom discussed character at Easter. It kind of gets lost uh, in all of the glory of Christmas, and that is Joseph, the father of Jesus, the earthly father of Jesus. Uh, and what a powerful representation uh, he gives us of what a man of God should be. Uh, this earthly father of Jesus steps up in such a big way uh, and will be important in guiding Jesus and protecting Mary and speaking to our hearts today uh, more than 20 centuries later. And so we overlook this story about Jesus, uh, but his story is poignant, uh, it's informative, uh, and he was under the power and influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, we hear about the Christmas story and that Jesus, uh, Mary rather, had been betrothed to Joseph. And if you look up on the screens, you can follow and that it's as follows. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her uh, to public disgrace, uh, and he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. 
The first sermon point for you this morning is this. The submissive faith of Joseph is an everlasting legacy. Uh, this step of betrothal was a major step in those days. Effectively, it was what we would consider today to be marriage. Uh, it was called in the Jewish custom something called kedushin. Kedushin. Uh, a young man and his fiance would effectively get legally married, but they had to wait a year before they would consummate that marriage. Now, one of the important reasons that they did this is that the families arranged these uh, partnerships. And so they wanted to make certain that the girl was pure. Uh, And so in every way beforehand, during the betrothal period, you were considered married. To get out of this relationship, you actually needed an an official divorce. Uh, And now, during this betrothal period, Mary shows up pregnant. Try to imagine, if you could, how panicked and humiliated this man must have been. Try to imagine 2,100 centuries ago uh, during those times uh, where they, they looked at things like this in a very serious way. What would it be like to hear from the girl you just married that, and, but had not slept with that, that she is in fact pregnant? Uh, how would you feel And so in his humanity, and I love this about the Bible, you see, the Bible shows us humanity in its perfect form. Yes, he was hurt. Yes, he was heartbroken. And yes, he does not believe her. He does not believe her. Now, Scripture scripture tells us that Joseph was a righteous man, and he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. And I think that says a lot about this man. As you see here, the very first impression of the Christmas story is grace. It's grace. It's this man who had every right under the law, you see, to have Mary stoned and put to death. But instead, he quietly bows before God and looks for a gracious way under God not to expose her to public ridicule, to divorce her quietly. What a gracious act uh, before God. He chose grace over law. Grace over law. And so as he dealt with this heartbreak, as you can imagine, was so profound. An angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus, for he will save his people from this sin. Now, all of this took place in order that the scriptures could be fulfilled. And that is the scripture in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And this is 700 years, mind you, 700 years before Jesus would be born. Quote, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. You know, it's been amazing. I've studied Jewish history, uh, and for hundreds of years, uh, the Jewish rabbis couldn't put their hands around this verse. They couldn't understand it. Uh, how, how could a, a virgin give birth uh, to a son? Well, w- what they did is, and they concocted this explanation, which really is not accurate, in which they reinterpret the word virgin to be ma- maiden. And so if you look at Jewish writings, what they'll say is, well... 
It only means that a maiden would give birth to a son. Well, really? Who else would give birth to a son but a maiden? Who else but a woman? All right? The, the, the poignant part of the prophecy, it's a virgin. It is the foundational aspect of what we stand for. If Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, then the entire word of God collapses as it relates to the Christmas story. Let's understand something. That's how critical this is. And so the, the sermon point here is the prophecy of God relating to the birth of Jesus through a virgin took place more than 700 years before his birth. It is a foundational principle of our faith. It is a foundational principle of faith. Don't let anybody tell you that they don't believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. There's no more critical aspect to this story than God through the Holy Spirit implanting his seed in this virgin. All right? Otherwise, Jesus would be born of human parents, uh, and he, he would contain original sin. The only way that that could be averted was by this process of God putting the Holy Spirit uh, and a seed through Mary. Now, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angels of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but he did not know her sexually until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. Now, this is an absolutely astounding turn of events. Joseph is a righteous and simple man. He worked as a carpenter. He wasn't a, a well-educated man. He wasn't a rabbi. He wasn't a religious teacher. And so the sermon point for you to think about is this. Why would God put up the birth of his son in such an unusual way? Why would God uh, have God-fearing people lose their reputations and have those reputations sullied, if you would, in this negative way. Why would God do that? And what we have learned is that there was a private explanation of events that Mary had been impregnated by the Holy Spirit given only to the two main characters, you see. It would take years, probably 40 years before the New Testament was written, that the story would come out. And in the meantime, Mary's reputation is dragged through the mud. Joseph's reputation is dragged through the month. There's no news bulletin from God. I want you to understand this. These people suffered. They, they experienced scandal in their lives uh, in an incredible way. They sacrificed their reputations to God. What a powerful story. Now, some of you have done the same thing. Some of you have sacrificed your reputation. Some of you uh, have been slandered because you have stood for God. Some of you have come out of very bad church situations, and yet you were slandered because of that. But I want you to know this. God has a long memory, a long memory. And you can take it to the bank that Joseph is honored today uh, in the kingdom of God. And so here they are living, living uh, with this scandal. And here's the point. Uh, God wanted the scriptures to be fulfilled just as they were written. A virgin shall give birth. A virgin shall give birth. God wanted us to walk by faith, not by sight. You understand that? That's what it means to be a Christian, walking in faith uh, as the God, as Lord speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. And so as theologians know, there was never any 
correct clarification of their reputations until the New Testament was written about 30 or 40 years later. And, and so when Joseph uh, officially took Mary as his wife, uh, he was confirming to the world that the baby was his. You know, Jesus himself lived with that scandal. Years later during his ministry, the Pharisees said to him at one point, our father is Abraham, but who is your father? Uh, in, in a hypocritical way, uh, denoting that in fact the general premise was he didn't come from uh, a typical uh, marriage relationship. And so the sermon point for you here is this. In fact, Joseph adopted Jesus legally when he gave him his name. Now, that's important for you to know. This is deeply significant. It means that Joseph, in naming the child, acknowledges him as his own son and thus becomes the legal father of Jesus according to Semitic law. Now, why is that important? Well, it's another fulfilling aspect of the scriptures. Because as a result of that legal adoption, Joseph's ancestry as a descendant of David, and Joseph was a direct descendant of David, transfers to Jesus all of those rights being the son of David. Uh, biologically, Jesus is begotten by the Holy Spirit, and he is, in fact, the son of God. But legally, you see, in this world, he is the son of Joseph and the heir to the promises of David, Joseph's ancestor. Can you imagine? All of it fulfilled by God. Uh, this is also in accord by the promise of Gabriel, who had promised Mary, quote, the Lord God will give him, that's Jesus, the throne of his father, David. How do you like that? Give him the throne of his father, David, because Joseph would adopt him legally. Now, this pregnancy ruined both of their reputations in the community, and I want you to think about this. Mary did not get the storybook wedding that so many of those girls wanted during that period of time. You know, those weddings would last a full week. Can you imagine? A full week. Uh, as all the family would come together uh, and, and lift each other up. Uh, and, and so she would never experience that. She would never have that. Moreover, because of the birth of Jesus, both Mary and Joseph would have to flee their homeland and move to Egypt. How about that? Do you think you're signing up for that when you take on this responsibility? You're not even going to be able to live in your own country. You're going to have to live in a foreign land because they're going to want to kill your son. And so they moved out. They moved to Egypt and spent years in Egypt. And so the sermon point for you here is this. My thought for you for this Christmas season is this. Is this how you would write the Christmas story? Is that how you would write it? It wouldn't be how I would write it. I can't see it appearing on television in some way that would, you know, bring your attention to it. You'd never write the Christmas story like this. But I believe God was setting out important markers for us even today as it relates to the Christian life. What will people need to do in order to follow our Lord? And that's what this is about. 
What do you need to do to follow Jesus Christ as you leave here and walk out into the world? What do you need to tell others about what it means to be a Christian and how we follow the Lord and how we commit our lives? And this man gives you the powerful example. And I believe that there are four elements from Joseph's life uh, that can inspire our Christian walk today. In each of these elements, God gave Joseph the strength and resolve to follow through, even though it was incredibly difficult. Uh, and he followed through in righteousness, in submission, in obedience. And so when we reflect on this, we can see Joseph as a compelling and inspiring figure that resonates down to us today. This man should be honored. We should put him in a prime position as we study the Christmas story. First, if we are to follow Jesus, we must have trust in him with absolute obedience. Absolute obedience. Joseph had to believe the impossible. Can you imagine? Your wife is pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Really? Really? That's a hard one to swallow. But you understand it's submission. And holiness, he accepted it. Uh, and, and you see this, he risked everything in life. His reputation was wrecked, right? It was wrecked. He was a simple carpenter. I wonder how much business he lost uh, because of this. Uh, and, and here's the thing. You do not do this uh, because Joseph was a prophet or a powerful spiritual leader. Rather, you do this because you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You understand? Destined to rise from the dead. Destined to save his people from their sin. That's why you do this. This is why our lives, you see, are meant to be sacrificial. Because we believe in the promises of the unseen God. We walk in faith, not in sight. We walk because God has spoken to us through the Holy Spirit. We are meant to have absolute confidence in the promises of God in every way. Now, in living a committed Christian life, we may be separated from friends and family who do not share our commitment. How many of you really, looking back at the last 10, 15 years of your life, as you've committed yourself to following Jesus, can say that you still have the same relationships with family or the same relationships with friends? Or in fact, have you been cut off in many ways because you've been committed to serving Jesus and walking to him and serving him and walking with the cross because you've lost many of those relationships? And so this is what it's about. You will have to choose at some point. Who do you want? Do you want Jesus or do you want people from the world? What's more important to you? Those relationships that will die at the end of your life or that one relationship that will live in eternity forever? Really, and that's what we have to think. Do I obey God or do I please family and friends? And let me say family rises here because I understand you, you have a family and you want to embrace them. You want, you want to love them. But in many ways, they don't have the same feeling about Christ as you do. All right? And I've spoken about this before. They come down and they visit you at Christmas time, right? 
They come down at Christmas time. Uh, and now it comes time to go to church. Uh, and so here's the decision. What do I do? Do I stay home with them or do I go to church? And I'm so sad when I hear people say I couldn't come to church because I had my son or daughter with me uh, and I couldn't go to church. Instead, what they should have said to their son and daughter, I'm going to church. And if you come with me, I would be so pleased. But if you want to stay here and stay home, that's okay. When I get out of church, then we can go for pancakes. But we're not going for pancakes instead of church. All right? And so here's the point, and this is critical. Jesus effectively said the same thing. He said it in a far more eloquent way than I did. But here's what he said in Luke 14, verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, the word there is hate, but it's not hate. Jesus didn't tell you that. He knew that the, the commandments themselves indicated we had to honor our father and mother. It was not hate. It was a fact put that relationship in proper perspective. God first. God first. Then your family. Then your family. But God first. Because when you put God first, everything else comes together. You'll have the most blessed relationship with your family. Uh, and so here's the thing. Joseph was committed to self-denial. You see, Joseph wasn't a narcissist, and that's what this world is filled with today, isn't it? Narcissism, really, all right? What can I do for myself? What do I want? What do I need? How can I please myself? It's me, 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 me. You didn't see this with this man. This man was honoring God in every way. Following Jesus, you see, means denying yourself some of the things the world might give you. Oh, gee whiz. You know, it's too bad. You, you're so involved with church. Uh, you could have gone on those trips with us, all right? Or you could have been on the golf team with us. Or you can be on my boat with us. But you instead have chosen to go to church, all right? And some of those things that, that were so appealing in the eyes of the world, you can't get. Uh, and so here's the thing that you need to know. If we are to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to submit to his will in every single way he comes first, even if it means denying yourself. And I would say that, that I, I faced this decision in my own life. You know, I felt that after I worked and after a period of time, certainly when I would be 70 years old, I would now get the chance to go and travel all over the world. That's what I thought I worked so hard for. But here's what I learned. Here's the traveling I'm going to do. It's from Port Royal to this church. There it is. That's the travel. You understand? That's the travel. And I'm going to travel that way for the rest of my life. You understand? And that's what God wants from you. He wants you to elevate that relationship so that you say, I don't care about the world. I don't care what it can offer me. I don't care about the money or the prestige. All I care about is Jesus Christ. And I would say when you plant that flag, God will honor you in an incredible way. And so here's the sermon point for you this morning. Joseph willingly embraced inconvenience. How about that? Inconvenience. Oh, my wife's pregnant. Oh, oh I got to put her away. Oh, this baby's going to be born in a manger. Oh, 
And now I got to move to Egypt? Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. It's rather inconvenient, right? And I would say to you here that there are many of you who have gone through that kind of inconvenience, maybe not to that extent, but here's the thing. God sees your inconvenience, and he will honor you and lift you up. Uh, And so when we walk with the Lord, irrespective of our own convenience, God elevates us, and he promotes us, and he affirms us, and he pours blessings into your life. I can't tell you how blessed God has, has treated me, and I know you feel the same way, irrespective of what you've suffered. Yes, you've suffered loss. Yes, you've had loved ones pass away, but you know that they're in heaven, and yes, your health is deteriorated, but you know that God says, I hold you. I hold you, and nothing's going to take you out of my hand. You know, perhaps the most eloquent discussion Uh, of the faith of Joseph is discussed in James chapter 2, verse 14, by his own biological son. Now, this is important that you understand that. James was the biological son of Joseph. He was the half-brother of Jesus, but the biological son of Joseph. Look at what he says there on the screen. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds. Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, and what food is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith without action is irrelevant. Faith without action is not faith. I believe that that James learned the lesson watching his father, seeing this simple man raise Jesus, and seeing this simple man being a tremendous husband and a tremendous father. And so the question for you is this, and it's in a sermon point. Think about the legacy of your children and your grandchildren as they watch how you live your life. What's your legacy right being written as you walk your life? Think about it. Are you presenting the kind of legacy that you want your children to be proud of? Are you showing them that you walk in faith with Jesus Christ? Are you showing them that you're lifting up the cross of Christ and dedicating yourself to Christ? Are you showing them that you can live within convenience And narcissism is not with you? Are you giving that example to your children? And remember this, it is not your words that have the most impact with your children and your grandchildren, but the life that you live, the life that you live. Joseph certainly filled that bill in every regard. I can give you that personal testimony. I I came from a very humble family. We never really had any money. We lived uh, in a house that my parents converted into a two-family house. It was really a one-family house. We lived on one floor. There was only one bedroom. My parents slept in the dining room. I slept in the kitchen until I was 18 years of age. This is how we lived. Why? Because my father was called to preach in a church that couldn't afford to pay him a salary. And so he continued still to work, and he worked for years till he was 40 in a, in a bronze foundry, can you imagine, uh, in incredible heat, and he would come home, and his clothes would be permeated with bronze. 
and he would take a shower. He would eat quickly and quickly, and then we'd go to church. He'd go to church Wednesday, Friday night, and Sunday, and preach. Can you imagine? Without a salary, whatever came in on the collection plate, because he was sold out to God. Inconvenience was irrelevant. Now, my sister and I have a front row seat. Do you think that would change my life forever? Do you think that that memory would ever leave me? Yes, my father preached hundreds and hundreds of sermons. Yes, I listened to every one of those sermons. I was there all the time. But the greatest impact in my life was watching him live. Just like you. Just like you in every way. Just like you. And just like Joseph. Just as Joseph did. So each of us have submitted ourselves to God and our Lord because we love him because we're sold out to him, and we recognize that he has given us salvation forever and died on the cross with our name in his hand. The memory of Joseph should sear itself into your memory. Absolute obedience, absolute self-denial, a willingness to embrace inconvenience for the sake of our Lord and Savior. Now, the only way we can follow Jesus with the strength of character that, G- that Joseph had uh, is through the Holy Spirit. you understand? It is the Holy Spirit which empowers us. Uh, it is the knowledge of the word of God in Scripture that is opened up to us through the Holy Spirit. And here it is. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. 700 years before, I don't care about the rabbis who couldn't put their arms around it, who couldn't find a way to properly translate it so that they can continue to have their Jewish faith. Uh, For 700 years, this prophecy was a mystery uh, in Scripture. But now through the angels of the Lord, it all came through. Uh, And so through the power of the Holy Spirit, Joseph saw the truth of that Scripture. And so he kept it in his heart. God kept all the promises of the Bible. All the promises of the Bible were fulfilled. Mary knew it, and Joseph knew it, just as God had kept the promises then. He keeps the promises today. This is the very message of Christmas that you need to carry to a lost world. And so you see, Joseph represents the best of the Christmas miracles. Uh, He bowed in submission and accepted the decision of God, even if it was inconvenient. Even if he was going to be slandered and abused, he bowed before God and accepted that, knowing that he would suffer persecution, knowing that that he would have to change his life in a way he probably never really thought about. Uh, And this is the the last mention of Joseph in the Bible is when Jesus travels to Jerusalem at the age of 12. Uh, and they're there for the high holy days. That's the last time we see Joseph. During those three days, uh, Joseph and Mary lost Jesus. And so when Jesus begins his public ministry at the age of 30, Joseph had passed away. Now, we don't know when Joseph passed away, all right? We don't know. It was probably years before, but we don't know. But what we know is this. Jesus was trained by Joseph uh, to be the father of the family, to, to lift up the, his brothers and sisters. And yes, I'm sorry, my Catholic friends, Joseph, Jesus had brothers 
and sisters. Yes, uh, he did. And I'm sure he was a tremendous presence for them in raising them up. And so Joseph passes away, but the legacy of what he had given that family remained not only with Jesus, but with James, who became, by the way, the head of the church in Jerusalem. How about that? You think Joseph had an impact in that? This simple man who wasn't a prophet, do you think so? Uh, and at the same time, Jesus, uh, Jesus was taught to be a carpenter by Joseph every day uh, in the workshop. That's what he did. And so just as, as Jesus is being taught by Joseph to be a carpenter, and God chose Mary to be the mother of Jesus, it all comes together. He chose Joseph to be his earthly father. And we need to reflect today on that man's legacy and honor him and pledge to God we want to live that kind of life. I want to live the kind of life that Joseph had. I want that kind of commitment in my life. I want that kind of commitment for you, that each one of you say, I want to be that kind of Christian. I don't care about the inconvenience. I don't care about the gossip. I don't care about the friends I will lose. All I know is I want to walk with Jesus Christ and carry his cross for the rest of my life until that final day when I cross from this world into the next, and he's there and embraces you and says, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen, church? Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the message that you've given us. Father, this picture of Joseph, the father of Jesus, is so poignant as we sit here and look at him and understand what he suffered and what he went through. And so, Father, you're teaching us today about the fact that we have to separate ourselves from the world. We can't worry about what the world thinks uh, how the world regards us. We have to regard you. And if that means separating ourselves in some way from family and from friends, Lord, give us the courage to do that. Let us stand for you in every way in our lives. And we know this, God, that if we stand for you, you will honor us, that our legacy will live beyond our days. Bless our people, Lord. Bless them in every way. Bless all those who've committed themselves to this church and to you. And protect them, Father, so that we can continue to worship you next week together as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.